Hi folks, and welcome to Elevate Your Game, a podcast where we take a deep dive into how to successfully bag game for the table and make it delicious. We'll explore hunting techniques, tools and equipment to increase your field success, and the utensils and culinary techniques that make wild protein delectable. My name is Tim Fowler, and I'm a Canadian journalist, chef, hunter, fisherman, and wild game cook. We'll talk with relevant experts, review gear that will help you achieve your goals, and provide game preparation details that will deliver memorable meals. Direct message me your questions on Instagram at Timothy D. Fowler, and while you're at it, give me a follow. Or you can email me your culinary questions at tim at birchcanoe.ca. Whatever your favorite wild protein, together we will elevate your game. Hi folks, and welcome to Elevate Your Game. Today we chat with Jennifer Vachon, the state biologist for Maine. Jennifer, please introduce yourself and tell us about your role with the state of Maine. Yep, so I'm Jen Vachon, I'm a state black bear biologist. Um, So I have statewide jurisdiction managing the, the bear population here in the state. And so that includes both managing um, social issues and social concerns, like issues with bears um, and humans conflicts, and then also trying to manage the population at a biologically feasible place. And so that's managing the harvest. Nice. We chatted a few months back um, and you helped me sort through bear scat. I'm, I'm very excited to find massive bear scat, particularly in the spring when the bears are fresh out of their dens. And uh, you provided a lot of education um, and helpful information to me about identifying that that part of, uh, of bear sign. And um, tell me about your relationship from with bears. How did you, how did you come to be engaged with bears and then the top biologist for the state of Maine responsible for that great big carnivore? Yeah. So like most young kids that have a love for the outdoors, when you start thinking about, well, what do I want to be when I grow up? I wanted to spend my time outside in the outdoors. And if I could work with animals and wildlife, even better. And so I want to say I was probably 12 or 13 years old and I was a big avid reader, still am today. And I found a book and I don't remember the title. Um, and it was, a, it was a fiction piece and it was about a young girl who had lost her parents, uh, was an avid photographer and an anti-hunter. And she went to photograph the bear hunt in Pennsylvania because he was concerned or appalled by the bear hunt. And throughout the story, she got to know the state bear biologist in Pennsylvania and opened her eyes a little bit and changed her perception of what bear hunting was and why bear hunting exists. And so that was, for me, really like pivotal in terms of, I was like, oh, I I can find a job in the outdoors. I can work with animals and I can work with wildlife if I become a wildlife biologist. And so that was what really fascinated me, just reading about this young girl's um, 
kind of journey through understanding bears and bear management in the state of Pennsylvania. And so fortunately, when I was in college, I ended up getting to meet the bear biologist that the author had spent some time with, Gary Alt. And so I, I ended up going to work for him the year I graduated from my undergrad, working with black bears. And so that kind of brought it full circle. I just think that is a lovely story. What um what were you surprised by when you when you went to work more closely with bears? What surprised you? Oh, jeez. I think a, a bunch of different things. Like I can remember the first day. So I'm a Mainer. I grew up here in Maine. We have a long running bear study, and I was fortunate to go to the University of Maine, which neighbors um, the town where the University of Maine is in Orono neighbors town of Bangor, the city of Bangor, where our office, our main fish and wildlife office is, uh, runs out of. And that's where our bear program runs. And so by the close proximity, I got the opportunity to get involved with Maine's bear, bear program while I was an undergrad at the University of Maine. And so my first, I think one of the things that I remember the most is that first day on the trap line. So um, what we do for our bear management here in the state is we've been radio calling black bears since 1975. So that was way before my time. I was young. <laughs> I wasn't part of that, that effort when it started, but we've been doing it for a really long time. And so we go out, part of th that effort is to put radio callers out on these bears. We have to capture them first. And so we go out and we trap them with a cable foot snare, as an Aldrich foot snare. And so that was my first experience was going out and participating um, in this capture event in the spring to get these animals radio collared so we could follow them to their winter dens and determine how many produced cubs and how many cubs were produced and how many cubs survived. And so Randy Cross was um, the field study leader for the bear program at that time. And he just recently retired. And he had young kids, and so I was on his crew. So we set up our trap line, and he was dropping his kids off at daycare, and I was going to start checking the trap line. And when I did that, you know, like he told me, well, Jen, this is what it's going to look like when you see a bear in a snare. And, you know, like look for it. And you're walking into some of these sites, and it's heavily vegetated. I think Maine's a lot like Alberta. We've got a lot of thick spruce fir forest. And so you're walking in and thick cover. Um, and I just remember um, him kind of trying to tell me what it'd be like when you would see a bear. And so th I think that's one of the things that is most memorable. Um, but then I think anybody that spends any time around wildlife and handles them closely, there's things that just fascinate you about them. And for me, sometimes it's just looking closely at an animal so a couple things come to mind, like black bears, they have these small eyes that when you look at them, and see, I get the luxury of I'm looking at a live animal because we sedate these animals. But there's, when I look at them or I see them in a, in a trap or in a den before we sedate them, I look at them and I, you, can, you see what's behind the eyes. And that to me is fascinating because there's, there's a lot of personality you see there. And well, it's almost like somebody looking at their pet dog or whatever, you know, they look in their eyes and they see or can understand that there's just more to that animal, right? And so that's what fascinated me. I think a lot about bears is just 
that opportunity that really unique to see them up close and get a snapshot into their life. An intimate look at bears right out of the gate on your first day. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. I I was, I was pretty excited. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. I, yeah, that's, that's lovely. So in your, in your collection of responsibilities now in your role of, of caring for the bears for the state of Maine, what kinds of things are you responsible for relative to population? Because eventually we're going to get to talk about population and the, the hunter's role in, in helping Maine achieve its population goals. So what, what's the range of things that your group is accountable for? Let's start with that. Yeah. So that's a, that's not an easy answer, but I'll try to make it as easy as I can. So we do a lot of different things. So one of them is we monitor the harvest because that's a big source of mortality. Black bears are long-lived species. They have, they have few natural predators. Um, once they reach adulthood, most of their source of mortality is human-caused, and harvest is the major contributing factor to their mortality. That's a huge part of what we do is manage the harvest. Um, another thing, and I alluded to it early in this recording, was radio collaring and monitoring black bears. We've been doing that since 1975. And so what we do is um, we have what we call a bunch of volunteer bears. You know, um, they, they were almost like voluntold. They, were, they didn't have an option. We equip about 100 black bears with radio collars. And these are adult females on three different sites. Um, and that number can fluctuate somewhere between 75 and, and 100 bears. And those bears just kind of give us an idea of what's going on statewide. We can't radio collar every black bear. So we have three study areas that we selected that we hope mimic the differences across the state. And then those three study areas, those bears on those three study areas give us like kind of a snapshot into what's going on, how many are surviving each year, how many are producing offspring. And so that's important information because it tells us a little bit more, not about what's being just removed from harvest, but what's being removed naturally. Um, And bears are most vulnerable to mortality in their first few years of life. And so it's that that first year survival and the second year survival that's really influences how many bears are recruited into the population. So that's how we um, kind of monitor that information. And then we also look at other indices to tell us how things are going, because that tells us biologically how many bears are in the population by knowing how many enter and leave the population each year. But then we have to know, is that acceptable to the public? Are there too many, too few? And so we look at conflict levels and so one of the things we do is manage um, interactions between bears and people. And we use that as a gauge to determine if acceptance is okay. If our, we're seeing more conflicts and we're seeing an increase in severity of conflicts, more damage, or more aggressive or unwanted behaviors, and that's concerning. Good. And how do you determine the ideal population? Like, how do you get to a population target? Yeah, so that that's a complex population modeling effort where that I already talked about, where we try to get as much information that we can about bears and put all that data in and and determine how many bears are, are in the population. We can't do a census like we can like for humans and call every household 
And so we just got to estimate. We have some confidence around that estimate. And so um, right now we're actually currently working with um, researchers at a couple different universities to do even a more complex population model, which we're really excited about. And so it's called an integrated population model. Basically, it's taking all the data that you have available and using that to inform your model. And so hopefully we're going to have some updated estimates from that effort here soon. Excellent. And then out of that model, you can you can estimate how many bears enter the population based on recruitment rates over those first two years. And then presumably you have a collection of mortality data. You 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 can you can get your hands on the uh, hunter caused mortality, whatever you however you refer to that. And then uh, do you track like vehicle collisions and that kind of stuff? Do you get that data? We do. Fortunately, Maine, we don't have a lot of vehicle collisions with bears, but in other parts of the country, that is a major source of mortality or can be a major source of mortality. Um, but that that's something that can influence it, but we don't see a big influence here in Maine. Yeah. And then presumably it's like, okay, if there's this many bears estimated population, we have these, this many coming in, we want to set some targets for hunter harvest. Is that, have I got that right? Yes. Yep. Okay. And, and how close are you, how close is Maine to the targeted hunter harvest? Well, we've been below objectives since 2005. So from this past modeling efforts that we've done, we know we, if, if we want to maintain our bear population at current levels, we need to remove 10 to 15% of the population through hunter harvest annually. Okay. And we've been below that okay. um, since 2005. So, Based on our current population estimate of over 35,000 bears in the state, we need to harvest between four and 5,000 bears roughly. And we've been harvesting 3,000 on average. So you want to increase your harvest by 30%. Is that right? Like yeah. roughly? Roughly, yeah. Okay. that's a That seems a significant number to me. It is. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, and that's what we want to get to in the meat of the podcast is like, okay, what's Maine doing to encourage hunter harvest, but there's something sort of more important than that, that I want to get at. Maybe we should deal with that first. Um, so how does Maine view the relationship between, is it fair to call this conservation? What yeah. is, what is, so con the conservation meaning the, um, the effort to have a collection of the roughly right mix of animals on the landscape and allowing people to function without too much conflict. Is that, is that, yeah, that's, that's, that's very much a layman sort of, okay. And then, so how does Maine and your role in the, as a senior biologist for the state view the relationship with hunters in the light of conservation initiatives. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you, you can reframe that question, Jennifer, if you want. It's like, no, no, no Jim, this I, is a better question. No, I think that's perfect. Um, you know, we view them as an integral part uh, in terms of how we manage our populations. Um, I think you mentioned earlier that you, that you, you wanted to talk a little bit more about that. I might not be the best person. I know a couple other people that really, um, really take that 
uh, issue to heart and spend a lot of time learning about it. But um, not only do hunters play a, a really pivotal role in managing our populations um, so that we keep them at these levels that are both biologically and socially acceptable, um, they also fund a lot of our conservation. And so here in the U.S., yeah. uh, we have a couple of legislation, but for on the hunting side, it's called Pittman-Robinson Act, um, and that funds a lot of state agencies' work. And so that's through the sale of um, license or er, er, guns and ammunitions. And then we also get our state revenues from licenses. And so hunters really fund a lot of the conservation efforts that are going on here in the U.S. And do you have some numbers? Is that fair to ask or that's a follow-up question? Uh, yeah, that, that would be something I'd have to get for No problem. You. No, yeah. that's good. Good. Um, so we'll follow, we'll follow up about the, the more specific details about the, the hunter numbers. But as a range of – so how do you get at that? How, do you, how does the state – say, okay, hunters, step up. It's funny, I woke up this morning um, with an Annie Lennox song in my head, and I can't remember the exact words, but it's like some people some people want to be used, some people want to be abused, and I'm thinking, hunters are a tool. I am a tool. I am just a tool in the toolkit of a biologist. That's it, and I'm happy to be a tool. I don't feel abused at all. I... You know, I got my couple of bears last week. I'm I'm very happy. Anyway, anyways, that's how my brain works. It's, it's like I wake up and I have the first. Op- that's the opening paragraph of this story. Is like, you know, some people want to be abused. Hunters just want to be used. I mean, that's anyways. Um, so how do you how do you make better use of the the tool uh, hunter? Yes. So that is our, our big challenge here in Maine, and so. I look at it as increasing opportunities, right? We want to provide more and more opportunities for hunters. And so hunting black bears in Maine, and I and imagine the same in Alberta and lots of Canada, is we have really dense forests. It's really difficult to hunt bears. Um, in Maine, we're very fortunate. We have very um, liberal hunting opportunities. We have a fall season. We do not have a spring season. Um but in our fall season, we allow both bait, dogs, traps, um, and then still hunt spot and stock methods. And so, um, and despite that, despite all those opportunities, about one in three bear hunters are successful. And so that just shows how challenging it is to successfully harvest a black bear. Well, it's not, it's not a hundred percent for sure. I mean, it's, you know, last year we didn't get a bear. I mean, none of my crew got a bear last year. I mean, that's, that's how it is. Um, so the fourth, but just let me clarify. So in the fall, there's, uh, there's bait, hounds, spot and stock. Yep. And trapping. And and did you say trapping? And okay. I think, I think that's, uh, I think that supports the liberal approach. You know, hounds, hounds are, uh, not something that are available to to every location, and um, and you know baits under some pressure. So that's that's good. It's that's fantastic for for uh, Maine bear hunters as an opportunity. So good. Okay. Um, and what else? What else is the state doing to in, 
Well, so given that it's so difficult to hunt bears and we have all these tools available to hunters, right? They can, they can choose which method or they can, or they can use multiple methods if they want. Um, We're still not meeting our harvest objectives. And one of the challenges for us is just bear, bear hunter numbers. So we have 200,000 hunters in the state. Most of those are residents. Um, But then when it comes to bear hunters, on average, we have just under 11,000 bear hunters. And half of those are residents and half are non-residents. So we just don't have a lot of our residents um, participating in bear hunting. And one of the challenges here in Maine is that our bears are most common uh, where we don't have a lot of people. So the northern part of the state is largely forested, um, very very uh, little human development. Northwestern Maine is mostly commercial forest land. Yep. And that's where our bears are. Yep. And so people, so resident hunters have to travel away from home often to hunt black bears. Right. So that would be a little more challenging than deer hunting where most people could hunt in their backyard. How, how far, um, my, I could use a geography lesson. How far from Bangor to bear hunting in the forest by car? By car? You're, you're not far from Bangor. Bangor, you, you can just within 20, 30 minutes. You can, okay. All right. And from the south of, of the state, if you're, if you're down in the south of the state, where how far of a drive is that? Yeah. So Bangor is just about the the southern portion of where you're kind of getting into some good bear hunting opportunities. Okay. All right. And so then you have to go north of Bangor. And so okay. you can go all the way to Allagash, Maine. You know, that's going to be four plus hour trip for some people. Yep. So it's an excursion. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of what I face. I mean, we go, we go a week at a time. We set up the outfitter tent and it's like, well, we're going for a week. That's what it is. And a four-hour drive for a week's hunt, okay, that's fine. But it's but it's not it's too far to go for the day. It makes a really long day if you're going to go. Just okay, let's go Saturday. It's it's really hard to do that. So fair enough. Okay, so it seems to me it's a recruiting issue. Is that yes? Is that it? Yeah. It's not. It's, that's not it. But it seems like that's a major factor. If you have five percent of your hunters hunting bears, like eleven, eleven thousand of two hundred is roughly five percent, like five point whatever, five point five percent. Yeah. Now I want to check the numbers in Alberta and see how many of us hunt bears. It feels like it's growing. Do you have an? Do you have a? Do you have a trajectory on the hunting numbers? Are the are the hunting numbers stable, going down, or coming up? So they were very stable. Um, since yep. 2005, but yep. with the pandemic this last year, we actually saw an increase in all of our license sales. Nice. And nice. so we actually had 12,000 bear hunters last oh, fall. Good. That's a 10% increase. That's yeah. good. Yeah. That's awesome. So that was good. exciting. So we need to keep that momentum. Yeah. We, we've yeah. also done a lot more um, outreach and education efforts yeah. here to try to, you know, um, make people more aware that one, you have the opportunity to hunt bears. Um, and then last year we anticipated a good harvest here in the, in the East. We typically see a good bear season followed by poor bears, poor bear season and it's related to natural foods. And so last year was a poor natural food year and we actually had a very dry conditions here. And so that makes, um, our natural food levels less available to bears. And so when they come into the fall season, 
with most of our hunting being done over bait, um, it increases that opportunity. Conversely, in a really good food year, we see a decline in harvest because bears are going to forage on natural foods over the bait. Right, right. So if it's a if it's a dry year, there's low lower amounts of mast in the forest to keep the bears there, and then they're they're more open to pursuing bait. That makes sense. Yes. Yes. And and have you considered is it is a single is a single license or or tag per hunter or are there multiple tags available? Yes. Yeah, so in Maine, you have to buy a hunting license yep. to harvest a bear, and then yep. if you want to take it with bait or with dogs prior to our deer firearm season, you have to have a bear hunting permit. Okay. And then um, if you're a resident during our November deer firearm season, you can take a bear without a permit. Okay. And then, Good. and then I mentioned earlier too, we have trapping. So that requires a trapping license as okay. well as a trapping permit. Okay. So, so it's possible to take multiple bears. You can take two bears in Maine, um, yep. currently one by hunting and one by trapping. Okay. And one of the things we're looking into is actually um, changing that regulation so that you can take two by hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. So that's, you know, sure. Where I, where I live, where we hunt, um, we have a general tag, which sort of covers a large area of Alberta. And then there's specific areas where, you know, our biologists are trying to get at um, some overpopulation. And we have a supplemental tag, which are only only available in those sort of fewer number of, we call them wildlife management units. We just carve up the province in little chunks. And, and each, um, if you have a general tag, it's open for all of those uh, wildlife management units and sometimes not black bears, but some species are in that WMU only. So they're trying to target a mule deer harvest or a moose harvest or whatever. Um, and then the black bear supplemental is a smaller area than all of the general areas. And it's listed by, there might be 10 WMUs wildlife management units on that particular supplemental tag. So it helps get at those those high population areas. And so that means if you want to put in the effort uh, in Alberta, it's possible to take two bears. Um, but it seems to me like one in three is about um, what our success is. <laughs> so. that's, that's pretty standard across the country where you yeah. have methods, whether it's hunting with dogs or, or hunting yeah. over bait. So the only way to get at that, it really is to recruit more people. Like if that's, it sort of makes, if you sort of zoom back and say, well, if, if the success is one in three, you, you need more threes. Right. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. I think that's one of our major focuses going to be engaging more resident hunters here in the state, yeah. Yeah. trying to get them interested in bear hunting. And you and I spoke before we got on here earlier about just some of the misperceptions. You know, yeah. there's a perception that bear meat isn't good yeah. table fare. And as you know, and I know, it's excellent. And so especially if it's prepared and handled correctly. And so that's yeah. what we're working on. You know, and I think that, um, I think that issue is, is honestly slow to get traction because it requires personal interaction. I have to invite you to my house for dinner and and serve bear and it was interesting i, I interviewed uh paul beasley who is uh part of the beasley brothers they're they're hosts of a canadian hunting show called canada in the rough and it's, it's the most watched television show about hunting in canada and so i interviewed 
Paul and he said, Tim, what do you want to talk about? I said, I don't know. Let's, let's call it dinner at the Beasley's. What are you going to serve me? He said, well, that's easy. Bear. I'm like, that's interesting. Tell me about that. He said, well, bear is delicious. And it's easy for me to make. I just put salt and pepper on it and put it on the smoker. And then we can visit. And he said, a lot of people just don't, they don't have exposure to bear. They have a negative opinion or whatever. And I thought, here's the top guy. And from a hunting aspect, like he's harvested muskox and caribou and bear and antelope and everything like ducks and geese and grouse and everything that we have in Canada that's huntable, he has hunted. And his first choice for the first time I come to his house for dinner, smoke bear leg. Bam. That's what it takes to change. And yeah. uh, yesterday I was talking with uh, Michael Ruhlman, who's written a stack of books. And we were talking about braising and the throwaway cuts of, of bare foreleg and hind leg cut into chunks. You know, we call them shanks, the size of your fist and braised low and slow with garlic and tomato and good stuff. Oh my goodness. Like if you have that, it's just delicious. So, so, but I, but I have to serve you that and you need to eat it and experience it yourself and then say, wow, that's worthwhile. I want to go bear hunting. So, but that's a slow process, but you're making progress, you know? So, yes. so I, and, and that's part of, that's part of what I'm trying to accomplish with my, with my podcast and with my writing, I write for bear hunting magazine and I write a lot about food. Um, so it's good. That's good. How else are you going to do that? Like we, you know, it's one, one conversion at a time, putting a poster up says you got to eat bear is not going to change anybody's orientation. It's like, come have some barbecue. Um, anyways, and that's now, my you know, we, live, we live in this digital world, right? Where everybody can get access to, to information. So now you can introduce people to bear meat, not necessarily by them themselves eating it, but maybe viewing others eating bear meat and experiencing it for the first time. And so those are some of the things that we've, we're exploring here. And so um, one of the things we just did is we just released a couple of videos just on making um, a couple of different dishes, game dishes. And so, you know, I think that's something that we'll use more and more is just trying to figure out ways that we can introduce people to bear meat more than nice. just one-on-one. Nice, nice. That is really good. I I will send you a link to my bear bacon story in uh, in Bear Hunting Magazine. Uh, my wife Kathy and a few of her girlfriends came for for brunch, and uh, and I made um, bear eggs Benedict. And uh, none of these ladies has had bear. Their husbands don't hunt. They're like. Wow, that was pretty good. Like they, they, you know. So that's, I think that's how you do it. But but the but the video instruction and live cooks and things that that uh, that will multiply how fast that gets done. So, and I think it's great too. We live in a time where people are more interested in getting their own food. Hundred percent. And and then you know it's just another way to engage maybe a segment of the population that hasn't yep. been engaged in the past. And so, you know, there's just a lot of opportunities out there. We're just starting to explore yep. those. 
Um, I spoke with somebody this last week, and they said that the fastest growing demographic, the fastest growing demographic for hunters is women. Women recruiting to hunt, um, followed by 30-somethings. Um, people who are comfortable and maybe even committed to the farmer's market to get closer to their food, closer to their farmer, understand where the food goes. And the next logical step in their mind is, you know, we should harvest our own. We should go hunting. And, uh, and then I choose which animal and how that works. And it's a big step to go from farmer's market to hunting, but yeah. it's sort of logical. It's, uh, and I, I interact with a lot of 30 year olds that are, Tim, I want to learn how to hunt. I've, I've decided I'm, I'm going to do that. And, uh, it's a very interesting and rewarding journey. So, um, that's good. Do you, do you hunt? I do. And do you harvest bears if you can? Well, so I haven't harvested a bear, but uh, I have two teenagers. And so nice. um, we go bear hunting. We haven't had a successful bear hunt yet. Um, but my husband's had two successful bear hunts in the past. So usually we're out with junior hunters. They're now to the age where they can start to sit on their own. Um, so, but, so that's what we've been doing the last couple of years is, is running dates with our boys. Good. So there's success ahead. I wanted to ask you what your favorite bear is. What's your favorite bear recipe? What's your favorite thing to, how to eat it? Yeah. So it's been a while since we've had bear meat in our household, but my favorite was the loin and just rubbing it in salt and pepper, like a salt pepper rub and having it on a grill. Um, very easy. Just, it's kind of funny, just like your experience with your friend there and that it doesn't take much time. Um, that was super tender. It's to me very similar to pork loin, and so I really enjoy that. But I've had bear chilies. That's good. Um, you know, just a variety of different things. But I've never had bear bacon. Out. That's a new one. I'll have to bear bacon's awesome. You know, my son. My son says, "Dad, a bear is just a pig with fur and teeth." And the difference between a hog. So I, we're not talking a five hundred pound. Uh, sow, we're talking about a 200 pound market hog. The difference between a market hog and a good black bear is the difference between white meat and dark meat on a turkey. You want the bear. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, the same way with any game, right? That's yeah. What yeah. I really like about what you said about the, about the loin and, and from my point of view, this is really, really important. You said loin, salt yes. and pepper, salt and pepper. If you put salt and pepper on your bear, whether whether you whether you grill it like you did for your loin or you have some tougher cut that you're taking a little more time in oven or smoker or whatever, you can taste the bear. It's not red wine and vinegar and rosemary and garlic and whatever else, and that's all you can taste. And there's nothing wrong with that. But but when people get started, like if if you when you cook that loin with salt and pepper. You can taste the bear and it's like, oh man, this is delicious. Now, what do I want to do with it? You know, we could use a little garlic and some rosemary. Fair enough. But you taste the bear first, which is fantastic. Good stuff. What else in the context of, of conservation? Is there anything else? Maybe we should go just beyond that. What, what other ways does Maine engage with hunters on conservation issues? So we talked about funding. We talked about increasing harvest. What else does the state do to engage uh, hunters in, in 
conservation issues? Yeah. Um, so one thing that we do in our in our agencies, we have a public process in terms of setting our goals and objectives. And so hunters are one of our stakeholders. And so they actively participate in those. And so back in 2017, we developed a big game plan, a 10-year plan. And so we had hunters participating in that on our steering committee, as well as our subcommittees. And so that's another way, because they have a lot of knowledge, right, that they can share with us. Um, and then, like for Bear, we have this challenge of how do we get more hunters participating? And in Maine, a lot of our bears are harvested with the use of professional um, guides here in the state. And so, you know, working with them more to understand what are some of the barriers and how we can help. Um, but also hearing back from them about, you know, how satisfied are they with their opportunities? How satisfied are they with the bear numbers where they are? And so just really trying to engage more with them and, and getting their involvement and learning from them. Awesome. You mentioned that you are an avid reader still. Um, can you, if, if you're comfortable, can you tell us what you're reading now or make a couple of title recommendations? Oh, geez, I, what, never, uh, I never remember. About what to read. To say, like, cause I'm such an avid reader. Like I go from one book to the next. <laughs> um, I could tell you that the one that a book that was the most challenging that I never, ever got through, but I wanted to was Undaunted Courage. Um, and that's about um, the Lewis and Clark expedition. And, and so that one, um, a lot of people I think are familiar with that book. And that one fascinated me, but um, it was something that I just never made it all the way through. Okay. Well, maybe that's something for the future. Yeah. And what didn't I ask, Jennifer, that I that I should have or that, that you expected me to ask that I didn't, that we should deal with? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, so we talked a little bit about, you know, what are we doing and what the challenges are here in Maine with trying to increase our, our harvest and keep our bear population at levels that both are biologically and socially acceptable. And I think we touched on really increasing, you know, hunter participation. That's one of them. But as you said, that's going to be challenging for us to do. And so um, we're also working within our current legal authority. And so we're working through our legislative process to get some more options so that we're not just relying on hunter participation. Our goal is right now that people in the state of Maine value black bears. We don't have a lot of negative encounters with bears and people. We want to keep that relationship between bears and people. And so that's really our focus. We're not, um, for anyone that's concerned that we're trying to reduce the bear population, that's not our goal. Our goal is to slow the growth. We know that we're, it'll be even difficult for us to stabilize the population at current levels. And so that's really where we're heading and we're looking to engage more with hunters to do that. That word value is really important. Um, hunters, hunters and hunting puts added value on those animals and it's sort of counterintuitive. Um, so it's, it's one of the outcomes of engaging the hunting community and is, is against those bears is those bears are more valuable if they're hunted and then they are, um, I don't want to say protected because that's a technical word, but, but they are, they're, they're, um, hmm. 
they're they're they are protected because because of their value. So um, it's good. It's all good. Yeah. Jennifer, I I really appreciate you joining me for this podcast and to chat. Is there not? Is there? What would you like to leave with? What are your parting comments you'd like to leave for listeners? Well, that's that's always a hard one, isn't it? Um, I guess. I think it's always important to remember whether you're a hunter, non-hunter, biologist, that we all have shared interests and shared values and that we need to focus on those shared interests. Um, and because otherwise we end up um, with a lot of different strife over issues and not accomplishing a lot. But if we focus on those things that we all um, value, and I think whether you're a hunter, non-hunter, anti-hunter, biologist, researcher, we all value black bears, we all value wildlife, and we need to focus on that common ground to be able to accomplish what we need to accomplish to conserve wildlife for future generations. I think that's a great comment. I think we, I think even with somebody we have conflict with or have disagreement with, we have more in common than, than we don't. And if you start from the shared interest, what we share as and value together, it allows us to get to the things we disagree with in a civilized kind of way. And I, I think that's I think that's a really, really good comment. So we'll close. Jennifer, thank you very much for joining us today. I think you have helped us all elevate your game. Thank you.